Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Welcome once again to the Crowdmakers. I am Bill Gertine, and with me is a very special guest. They know him as the Price Whisperer. Per Shofors is the founder of Shofors Partners and a thought leader on product pricing and positioning. Per, I'm so grateful for you taking time to be here on the Crowdmakers. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very, very much, Bill, for, for inviting me, and it's a pleasure to be here. You know, the subject of pricing is something that every sports team of every size is in the process of reevaluating right now in light of what's gone on over the last 12 to 15 months. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you earned your nickname of the Price Whisperer. I was called the Price Whisperer so many times that eventually I decided to add it as my moniker. And it's not something that I invented myself. Um, but um, the, the, the background here really is, is pricing is important for all, not only sports teams, but um, uh, for, for, for all companies. And the, 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 the background is that I did some experiments in pricing. I, I ran a couple of companies in Europe and, and been running a couple of companies here in the States. And we did experiments with pricing, and sometimes it worked beautifully well, like next quarter uh, revenues are up with 25%, and other times it was complete disasters. And I didn't have, from my, um, what I've learned in business school about pricing, was so academic and so theoretical that it was, um, it was useless. It didn't help us understand why some of these experiments worked and others didn't. So um, I decided to devise a process that would make every pricing experiment a success. And that process consists of doing a particular kind of market research and a, again, a process that, that, that I defined. And from that, we can predict sales volume and revenue at different prices with great accuracy. And if you can do that, you can set your prices right. Well, I can see where the whisperer part comes in because I'm not sure that anyone has ever been bold enough to predict that sort of thing. But every process, you, the process allows you to make every opportunity for pricing a success? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. But, but, but that is because pricing is just the very beginning. Um, what we do is that we take a holistic view on a company's or, or a team's whole go-to-market strategy. So we, we can say these are, the, uh, these are the customer categories or customers' persona that will lead to higher, higher revenues. We can say these are the benefits that will lead to a higher revenue. These are the marketing messages that will lead to higher revenue and so forth. Got it. 
Well, your company, as I understand it, has this process, which you use AI and you use other methods by which you can measure what you call willingness to pay. And I want to explore that just a little bit. Talk about your process and, and what you mean by willingness to pay. And then the accompanying term you use for that, which is expectation bias. Help us. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> Let me start my, my expectation bias, because that's a um, that is something that um, we all have. It's a, it's a human trait. And uh, what it means is that whenever we are presented with a price, it sets an expectation of the quality and benefit that we would see. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that if the price is lower than we have expected, it will set an expectation of lower quality and benefit. The lower the price then, the lower the sales will be because the, the more people will have that expectation of a low benefit. And we've all been there, you know? We, we looked at, yeah, I want to buy this, whatever it is. I want to buy it. And then we look at the price and, no, this is a little too low. You know, this can't be any good. It also works the other way around. So if you buy something that is expensive, you have an expectation of a high benefit. For example, um, they, they, for example, did you know that a five cent aspirin is not nearly as effective as a fifty cent aspirin? Did not know. This that. been tested. This okay. this has been tested uh, over and over again in is sort of in in the likes of clinical trials, and they have found that the 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 the, the, the too low price of an aspirin doesn't cure a headache, but an expensive aspirin cures your headache. <laughs> so you're saying that part of the expectation someone has of a product is mental. It, it's, it's, yes. it's really all in their heads as to whether or not they have paid the right price to cure their ill or to, to own whatever it is they want to own. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm a, um, if we go personal here, I'm a bit of an audiophile. And, and within that community, uh, there are people who they, you know, they spend $5,000 on a, on a power cord. <laughs> this is insane. It's it shielded. This is it's ins got 10 wires of copper yeah, inside. Yes, exactly. You know, and, and they hear the difference because they expect to hear a difference. Mm. So for them, the better sound quality is, is real. But of course, it's not. There's no way a power cord can make a difference. Now, there's a very small group of people who will do that, but that's a different story. Now, the other question you have is willingness to pay. Well, right. whenever, we, whenever we buy something, we make a decision. And, and this is also very interesting. The, um, the, 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 the decision to buy is an emotional decision every time. Okay, and we use a very complex set of of inputs that to to make our buying decision. Um, we use internal things that call heuristics, which are you know gut feel, experience, um, uh, how we have been influenced by different people, and we also then at the buying decision are influenced by other things, other external things. And I used to uh, tell the story, for example, if you look at something as commoditized as gas, 
your willingness to pay when um, when you're on the and, and let's say you're running out of gas, um, your willingness to pay to fill up if you're on the way to the hospital with a sick child is probably higher compared to if you're on the way to the in-laws, you know? So <laughs> external, um, ex- you know, your external circumstance alters that willingness to pay. And in fact, there's studies that saying that um, we have little peas in our brain just here that, that, that um, manage emotions. Mm-hmm. And, Folks that have a brain injury in that, uh, in that uh, space cannot make decisions. Mm. Or rather, they make decisions like uh, uh, they're, they're completely random. There is no, 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 I mean, to the point that they can't work in, in society. So willingness to pay is influenced by a lot of different things. And I call that whole influence the decision landscape. If you're a seller of whatever you sell, that entire decision landscape affects willingness to pay. So what it really says is that you as, as, a, as, as, a, as an organization who sells something, whether it's tickets to a game or something, or whether it's stuff at the game, are all uh, able to affect what your customers are willing to pay. And having that knowledge of the, the various um, aspects of how that d- decision landscape affects willingness to pay means that you can leverage that in two ways. You can have higher revenues and you can have happier customers. Let's talk about some of the biggest mistakes people are making in their pricing strategies. Uh, I, I've heard you say that ones that you see fairly often is when companies compare their prices to the competition. And then they base their prices on what everybody else is doing. It yeah. seems logical, perhaps. Why do you say that's a dangerous road to take? Because if you only compare yourself to competition, you become commoditized. Because it's not only pricing, then you start selling. Uh, whatever you're selling, it ends up being very similar to the competition. And you're a commodity. And if you're a commodity, you do not have... Um, you do not have pricing power. You cannot charge because it, for a commodity, um, the price is the most important decision driver. So, uh, and therefore you need to decommoditize yourself. And let me tell you um, a little story here. Um, a company who sells, I shouldn't say exactly what it is, but it's a, it's a, it's a commodity that is used in the construction industry. Okay they managed to have a spot of 65% market share. And um, they are the high price leader. Their prices are between 25 and 30% higher than their competition. But they managed to charge higher prices because they have managed to differentiate themselves in ways that make sense for their customers. And what that means is that they deliver these, these commodity items in a different way than their competition. They, they have training services that not only do they charge for it, but it also means that they are being perceived as the thought leader in their industry. Um, they, have, um, they have superior customer support. 
and um, and and obviously they they pull out all the stops to to support customers if there is some kind of um, urgency or emergency or or something like that. Imagine if you if you if you can think a little bit outside the box how you can use everything around your product or your service, but not the product or service themselves to generate a higher willingness to pay because you, you can. That's great. What are, what are yeah. some of the other, we're going to go back to that in a moment because certainly sports sells experiences, many of which cannot be had anywhere else. So that is a right. prime yep. differentiator that we have. But as people figure out what price should be charged for the tickets that they sell, what are some of the other common mistakes that people make when they start pricing their products? Well, apart from looking at the competition, it's, it's just pulling a price out of thin air. You know, um, <laughs> I had this conversation with, with a client. Uh, this is maybe a couple of years ago, but I thought it's, it's in my mind, you know. Uh, and and the, the CEO of this company said, well, we, we, we price our service at $160. And then he said, I don't know if that's the right price. Maybe it should have been 250 Maybe it should have been 95. I don't know. Just 160 felt good. <laughs> so, so he just picked the price out of thin air. Okay. I'm sure that happens a lot. Would you say? I mean, with the many companies you represent or talk to? Oh yeah, yeah, it happens a lot. And the other thing you, you do, especially, is that you look at cost as a as a basis for your prices. Cost plus. And, yeah, cost plus, and and cost. Cost is important because you don't want to sell below your cost unless you do it for strategic reasons. Um, but your your costs have nothing to do with the benefit that your customers, uh, um, you know, um, experience. So so um, having and and these sort of funny different industries have different um, uh, have different sort of rules of thumb on on that sort of markup on uh, above cost. Um, some industries says, well, we're going to increase, we're going to have a 35% markup. I'm just talking to another company who said, who came to me and said, in our industry, we're supposed to mark up our cost uh, times five. And, but then I think we're too expensive. <laughs> so because that's what so, everybody else has been doing. Yeah, exactly. You know, wow. but, but our ingredients are better. So, so because of that, we're more costly, and because of that, five um, x our cost is gonna is gonna make us too expensive. So, what do we do? Well, what we do is that we find out, we predict what the sales volume and revenues are gonna be for that particular product in that particular marketplace, and to find out. Who are the individuals that are actually willing to pay the higher prices? Who, and what will make them pay those higher prices? So it is taking that um, holistic view on pricing and what drives people's willingness to pay, what drives their ability to, to um, see benefits from pricing itself, and, and use that as a, a complete really go-to-market strategy for any any organization who wants to take themselves to the next level. Understood. Well, we're coming out of a time where people who are normally accustomed to go to a lot of live sporting events in a year 
might be adjusting their thought processes a little bit going forward and, and potentially coming to fewer games as a result. It's one of the fears that our industry is going through right now. Many teams are seeing this trend and figuring out what sort of packages they should offer in light of this readjusting of their mindset. A season ticket plan, for example, may not be in somebody's best interest as much as it used to be because of the time they've spent at home and perhaps getting engaged in something else. What data should teams be looking at to properly package the number of games that are in their ticket programs for maximum success, do you think? One thing that you can always do is to, um, to talk to potential customers. And you can actually ask them a couple of questions that are, are relevant here. Uh, you can say, and we said this back to expectation bias. Um, you can ask them, and if you do this with like 50 people, um, ask them for this, for, this, for this bundle or for this offering, um, what do you think is a price that is so low you probably wouldn't buy it? Hmm. Okay? okay. So testing the, and, the, the lowest level. Okay. Lower limit. And then you say, and... <clears throat> And what is the price that is so high, there's no way you'd buy it, no matter how good it is. And then suddenly you have a range. You know, you take the average of those two points and, and you have a range of not lower than that, not higher than that. Interesting. So you're asking those 50 people to suggest to you the range, not you suggest a number. Correct. Is that important in the asking it's to make sure important. they, okay. I want to talk about that because many people will do surveys and mm -hmm. they'll bring up certain price points and they'll have some things to choose from rather than yep. allowing that survey E to be able to choose the numbers themselves. You think that's really important for them to choose the yep. numbers. Oh, it is because we, um, we react differently uh, to when we are presented with the price and are supposed to choose one. Um, uh, as when we tell somebody, this is the value that I see. This is where the value is too low. This is where the value is not enough. We'll be back for the second half right after this. Hi, this is Bill Gertine. I've been training the ticket sales departments of sports and entertainment for almost 20 years, and I love what I do. But everywhere I went, the story was always the same. We loved what you did. You got us fired up. But after a while, we kind of lost the spark and we went back to the same old, same old. Well, not anymore. ISBI 360 is the first and only digital training network created exclusively for the specific long-term career needs of sports and entertainment professionals. Our seven different unique certification programs include the fundamentals of success in the industry, like ticket sales, sponsorships, social media, customer service, and leadership all trained by industry experts like Brett Zelaski, Debbie Nolan, Misha Scher, and Seth Rabinowitz. ISBI 360 uses a unique four-stage learning process, including cutting-edge micro-learning videos, live recorded role plays, live coaching from industry experts, and an ongoing reinforcement program to make sure the learning sticks and forms the habits that your people need to grow and excel faster. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Check out what's different about ISBI 360 today. You've talked a little bit about the way in which you would ask those 50 people, would you pay this price, the lowest mm -hmm. price, or would you pay this price, the highest price? 
Are there any other questions that you might ask those 50 people while you have them in the room or on the phone or online uh, beyond that range of low and high that might uh, help them perceive some of the other things? Would there be something to do with the amenities that they might ask or, or some other questions that might help them determine what that true price should be? Well, you, what you really want to do is you want to lead up to um, you want to lead up to these are these are the amenities these are the our differentiators these are the particular benefits you get and then you ask those pricing questions. So um, you should obviously ask them to pick what is the most important amenity, what is the most b important benefit, and so forth. And um, and. Uh, I mean, obviously, seating is different, you know. Um, you should have differentiators in seating. You should have um, differentiators. Maybe maybe certain games are on, 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 you know, maybe different days or different time of day could lead to different uh, willingness to pay and so forth. So, so all of that is important so, so that when you eventually do the, ask these two questions, uh, you're asking somebody who's informed on the topic. Yes. So beyond sports, beyond things that are going on, perhaps in our world with sports and entertainment, what are some of the business trends or storylines that you're watching closely right now as a price expert? Is there something that oh, you're studying the, right the, now that you're fascinated the, by? Yeah, the tremendous uh, increase in, uh, influ in um, inflation. Hmm. In, in, in the last month, uh, the consumer price index have gone up 5%. That is not trivial at all. And, and this is, of course, as we're coming out of, 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 of the COVID lockdown and so forth, and, and we're we coming back to some kind of normality, um, companies are increasing, increasing their prices because they, 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 they've lost money and they need to recoup uh, revenues and so forth. And, and this is going to lead to inflation. There's no doubt. And, and when there's inflation, you have to follow the inflation in, and increase your prices. Such a because challenge, the, yes. Because we yeah. have people that have not been in the habit of things, but we want to be able to help them do that. And yet our prices will go up for hot dogs and all the yeah. other elements of and labor, perhaps, uh, and yeah. the other things involved. Yeah. The, the, uh, I've, I've talked to companies who say, who say things like, I haven't increased my prices for seven years. And if I increase them 2%, I'm going to lose all my business. No, you're not. <laughs> when you have a situation where people are nervous to increase their prices, do you suggest that they add an amenity or something to their, to their total package that they receive that allows the customer to negate that price increase in their minds? You want to make bundles instead of discounts. That's a general rule because discounts tarnish your brand eventually if you do it too much. The important when it comes to um, increasing prices is I've written a little booklet called Seven Easy Steps to Increase Your Prices and Keep Your Customers Happy. And it's, it's, it's all about using the right process, knowing the, the true willingness to pay, knowing how you can defend that price increase with with uh, with the right value messages and so forth, and yeah, sometimes it's good to 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 put that extra little um, amenity or whatever it may be in in, in that package. Yes, 
How can people get that little booklet of yours? Is it on Amazon? How do you how do you find that? It it, it actually is on Amazon, yes. Um, but um, and and it's I think two ninety nine or three ninety nine. It's it's a 20, 25 minute read, so it's not huge. Okay. Um, or 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 obviously um, I give it away for free for those who who come to my website or my company's website. We would love to know how to get it free. How do we to let people know how they might get that yeah. pamphlet? Go ahead. <laughs> So it's my last name. It's uh, showforce.com, S-J-O-F-O-R-S.com. Terrific. Well, let's yeah. continue here. When you think of a company or an entity, perhaps, that you believe is really smart about the way they price things today, who comes to mind for you? What's the examples you give? Apple. Apple is brilliant when it comes to pricing. Um, they... Um, they do things like um, when they, there's something we haven't talked about this, we, that's called price imaging or price anchoring. And uh, what price anchoring is, is that when you present a price to a potential buyer, that price needs to be anchored somewhere. And what Apple did when they came out with the Apple Watch was there were two versions. There was a $349 version and there was a $17,000 version. What was the difference? Well, one of them had the case made out of gold. Guess which one, okay? But the, the, the interesting thing is that every journalist who wrote about the, the, the introduction of the Apple Watch wrote about the audacity of Apple to come out with a $17,000 version of the same electronics when you can get it for $349. But the, the point was not to sell that $17,000 at all. And I don't know if they ever did. The point was just to make sure that every time you read about the $17,000 versus the $349, that $349 became more and more affordable. Hmm. Interesting. And that's the that is the, the that is the basis of price anchoring. And if you look at, for example, a website, the website should have the highest price first, because then that sets an anchor point so that what comes after, you know, to to the to the right as we read left to right, um, becomes appears more affordable. Well, that's interesting you say that because many people market exactly the opposite. They will say prices yeah. as low as $9.99 or something like yeah. that. And so speak to that just a little bit. Is that counterintuitive to what you're talking about here? Well, they're they, they, they doing it the wrong way. <laughs> that's how simple it is. It's, you, should, you should, I mean, I've, I've advised a bunch of restaurants, okay? And, and I said to them, take a dish that you have that is unique, put it up on your menu on, 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 on the top left corner and, and price it as high as you dare. And they come back to me and said, our sales gone up <laughs> and we increased our prices. You know, just because you have something that A is unique and B sets that reference, sets that anchor point. So what's in the rest of the menu 
is going to appear um, more affordable. Now, yes. if we talk yeah. about if we're talking about hot dogs and stuff like that, um, what would you have hot dog at uh, hot dogs at a, at, at a stadium? What do you have in that at that top left hand corner? Well, you have the family package, you know, eight hot dogs, whatever, and drinks and this and that, you know, and it's going to be expensive, but it sets that anchor for the the guy who just want one hot dog. So you feel better about spending $12 for one than not spending $200 for the package that it's at the top. Okay. Correct. Totally. But there's going to be some people, there's going to be some people who say, well, I want to splurge out. I want the best. And they're going to buy the package. Yeah. Are there any other companies beyond Apple that stand out to you that you think have, have really done a good job that perhaps others who are listening now might be able to emulate and take a look at what they have done in your eyes? Oh, I'm thinking. Well, I, I, I want to give another example of, of Apple before we go there. And that is Please. how they, they, um, they've unbundled. You know, when you bought an iPhone, you used to get earbuds, you used to get a, a, a charger and everything. Um, you don't get that anymore. You have to buy it. Yeah, I know. And in fact, I, I made sort of a, 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 a back of a napkin calculation on how much extra money Apple were making revenue-wise by unbundling these, these items from, from the iPhone 12 when, when I think it, it's, they started. And it comes to about $6 billion. Billion with a B. B the B. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and so the, the, the philosophy appears to be they're going to buy the product anyway. Mm-hmm. And you're appealing to those who would prefer to have the bare bones, less price that, as possible phone and allow others then to purchase the other items that they feel are more important to the enjoyment of the product. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but they haven't lowered the price of the product. And they just kept it the same. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it, it was just a, a way for them to, to, to make more money out of the same, uh, out of the same uh, product. But, but it's also important that Apple are not striving for market market share. They, they're striving for the highest profitability. And <clears throat> because they strive for higher profitability, it, we all know that they, they, Apple generates about 85 to 90% of the whole smartphone industry's profits globally. Um, and they have, what, 15% market share or so. But they're happy with that because they, they, they generate all these profits. Now, what do you use those profits for? Well, you obviously reinvent vested into the company. You have more people doing design, you have more innovation, you have, well, Apple is not known for innovation, but you have, um, um, y- you can spend on doing stuff, increasing your competitiveness and so forth, you know? Sure, they're design people, they, they, you know, yeah. they many awards for design and, and those things. Yeah, really exactly. Stuff. As we wrap up today, Pear, I, I want to have you fill in the blanks with these rapid fire questions. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Your favorite binge watch during the pandemic. Oh, um, Tokyo stories. Ah. On Netflix. Excellent. Besides the, the movies and sports, the one thing you've missed most during COVID. 
Um, pubs. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, the board game you thought you'd never pull out of the closet that saw the light of day in 2020. Well, that I I don't have a board game. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Hey, that would be a, well, a, hopefully a, maybe not not applicable. Not a problem. Yeah. Uh, favorite musical artist on your workout mix or however, whenever you listen to music. Oh, that's very hard because uh, there's so many. Um, I I'm into jazz, so say John Col- Coltrane. Coltrane, great choice. Uh, favorite client that you've not worked for yet. Apple. Okay, we'll take that. Uh, the sit-down restaurant you have ordered delivery from most often in the last 15 months. Um, exotic Thai. Oh, Thai food. Very good. Favorite comedian or comedian? Uh, Penn and Tell. Ah, great choice. Favorite thing about LA? Diversity. Cool. The biggest hurdle you have to overcome in the next six months? Get my exercise going properly. You have to get your workout mix ready so that you can get your exercise going. I'm sure that will do it. <laughs> Put Coltrane on your workout mix and then you'd be just fine. Yeah, I think so. Last one. One bold prediction you would have for business in general going forward. Well, whenever there's change, there's opportunity. And uh, there is a lot of change going out at the moment. So there's some companies that's going to take that opportunity and grow by leaps and bounds. There's going to be a lot of new companies coming up that we probably haven't heard of. And um, there's going to be a lot of old companies who cannot work within a changing environment that's going to go from of, of the wayside. A lot of these changes have to do with um, um, the implement, more implementation of AI software um, and, uh, and so forth. So that's, that's, that's my prediction for the next 18 months. I think it's, it's probably well-grounded, and we appreciate your time here today. Uh, mention once again where they might get the, uh, the booklet that you have and the name of the booklet and where they can find it. Well, it's, um, it, the, it's called the seven easy steps to successfully increase your price and keep your customers happy. And you can get it from, from our website, which is showforce.com, S-J-O-F-O-R-S.com. My name, it makes perfect sense in my native Swedish, but here we are. <laughs> Not a problem. I'm so grateful. Pair Shofors founder of Shofors Partners and known as the Price Whisperer. Thank you so much for taking time here on the Crowdmakers with us. Well, thank you very much, Bill. It was a pleasure being here. If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. 
That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. And the executive producer of the Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertin. Until next time, thanks for listening and so long for now. This is the Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.